Chapter 7 of Sir Titus Salt, Baronet, His Life and Its Lessons. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. Sir Titus Salt, Baronet, His Life and Its Lessons by Robert Belgarney. Chapter 7 to business that we love we rise betimes and go to it with delight shakespeare he does a lot for every exercise a several hour for sloth the nurse of vices and rust of action is a stranger to him massinger if little labor little are our gains man's fortunes are according to his pains herrick the next ten years that followed the commencement of the alpaca manufacture were perhaps the most arduous period of Mr. Titus Salt's life. We have seen what marvelous energy and perseverance he displayed in setting up the machinery in the various mills, but the same qualities were equally necessary to keep it going. These mills, being situated in different parts of the town, and the burden of their management resting solely upon himself, the strain upon his mind must have been very great. Had he relaxed his diligence after the initial stage of the operations was passed, then assuredly the complicated system he had originated would soon have stopped. The same hand that had built and launched the vessel must now be at the helm to steer her. Indeed, we may say he lashed himself to the helm, for he seemed always at his post and because one mastermind presided over the various works everything in connection with them went on smoothly how was he able to do all this single-handed is a question that has puzzled many and which young men might find it beneficial to consider know then that he was a very early riser and his unvarying rule was to be at the works before the engine was started is it not written the hand of the diligent maketh rich and here is a signal illustration of it it used to be said in bradford titus salt makes a thousand pounds before other people are out of bed whether the sum thus specified was actually realized by him we cannot say but it is the habit of early rising which we wish to point out and inculcate on those whose business career is about to begin in these times of artificiality and self-indulgence, when the laws of nature are often wantonly violated, the chances of success are dead against those who follow such a course. Let young men especially avoid it. Yea, let them take Mr. Titus Salt as an example of early rising. That this was his constant habit is confirmed by the testimony of an old workman who says, I was only once in my life late at the mill, and Mr. Salt was there as he always was in time. Of course this habit was somewhat relaxed in after years, though it often continued to assert itself. For example, he was usually the first one of his family circle who came downstairs in the morning. Once the writer was leaving the hospitable mansion of Crow Nest at five o'clock a.m., and to his surprise, he found his host in the hall waiting to say good-bye. 
it is almost superfluous to mention that his early presence at the works exercised a high moral influence over his workpeople well they knew that they had not merely to do with delegated authority but with that which was supreme if any of them were late it was the master's rebuke they feared if any were conspicuous above the rest for regularity and skill in their duties it was the master's approval they expected and this approval was shewn by the promotion of those who served him best some who entered his employment in the humblest capacity have been raised to the highest positions in it there was thus a personal acquaintance formed and a mutual sympathy established that greatly helped to bridge the gulf which too often has separated master and workpeople and sometimes placed them in an attitude of antagonism to each other throughout his manufacturing career he had great moral power in attaching the workpeople to himself they all looked up to him as a friend rather than a master and they obeyed and served him with all the devotion of a highland clan to their noble chieftain the following letter from an old workman now a manufacturer will speak for itself mr salt engaged me in his service in the year eighteen forty his mill and warehouse were then in union street bradford i was with him nearly twenty-seven years and when he came from bradford to saltair i came with him he was a man of few words but when he did speak it was to the point and pointed he meant what he said and said what he meant if i asked him for an advance of wages he always said i'll see and it was done he was a fair-dealing master between man and man when he heard tell of a man trying to injure another man that man had to go through the small sieve if a man did his duty he was always ready to give him a lift over the right this i have myself proved one day mr salt was coming down manchester road bradford in his carriage when he saw one of his workpeople who had been ill for some time he stopped his carriage and gave him a five-pound note whenever he saw true distress he was always ready with his heart and hands to help them he was a persevering plodding man he had a very strong struggle with the alpaca wool it was in some instances thirty-six inches long but he was determined to master it which he did another striking feature of his character and one which enabled him to accomplish so much work was his punctuality never was a military despot more rigid than he in the observance of this rule when he made an engagement he was punctual to the minute and he expected the same in others who had dealings with him once at a church-building committee meeting of which he was chairman the secretary arrived a few minutes late it happened that on his way thither he had met a friend upon whom he levied a subscription but how could he meet the chairman's frown he entered the room holding up a banknote saying i have been detained by this all right said the chairman i thought you must be after something of the kind i shall be glad to excuse you again on the same terms such was his punctuality that he was hardly ever known to miss a train or to be in a hurry for one it was the same at home as in business the hour of meals were observed with precision 
and all other domestic arrangements were conducted on the same principle of order with watch in hand he would await the time for evening prayers and then the bell was instantly rung for the household to assemble when the usual hour arrived for his family and household to retire to rest the signal was at once given and observed when guests were staying at his house he was the timekeeper of their movements and in regulating themselves accordingly they were seldom mistaken when a journey was to be taken with his wife and family say to the metropolis or the seaside nothing was left to chance but the day and hour of starting together with other minor arrangements were written down some time beforehand another marked characteristic in the prosecution of his immense business was his methodical exactness but for this habit which was natural to him he never could have personally controlled the various departments in connection with the works he was scrupulously exact in the arrangement of his papers and knew where to lay his hand on any document when required his letters were always promptly answered he was exact in his accounts exact in the words he spoke which never had the color of exaggeration about them exact in his purchases and sales when he had fixed his price he stood by it so that no one ever thought of arguing with him to take a farthing less a gentleman in the trade still living says i once received a quiet rebuke from mr salt which was the most valuable to me in my future career it happened at his warehouse in union street bradford i was a young man then and spent a long time in trying to make a bargain with him he heard me out to the last and then said quietly have you done sir i took the hint and it taught me to talk less and when enough has been said to go about my business that others might attend to their own but if we were to sum up all the qualities that conduced to his success at this period all those mental characteristics that enabled him to prosecute his immense business single-handed it would be expressed in the word wholeheartedness it will be remembered that in his boyhood the testimony of his schoolmaster was to the same effect has not the heart a wonderful power to draw every other faculty after it how many men drag out a miserable existence owing to the very consciousness that they have been mistaken in their occupation as a consequence of this they have never followed it with their whole heart they have always hankered after something else and that to which they have originally put their hands has of course turned out a failure better for a young man carefully to watch the bias of his mind and the particular taste evinced then in that direction his future course ought to be steered this is just nature giving a broad hint and what she thus indicates is likely to prosper then let him determine to succeed and succeed he must it was thus with mr salt his early proclivities found their true sphere in the occupation he now pursued it was a noble sight to see one like him toiling early and late adding stone to stone in the edifice of which he was the architect and builder many doubtless looked coldly on and doubted whereunto this thing would grow but quietly this plodding man continued his unwearied labors resolutely he held to his purpose that he would make himself a man 
thoughtfully he constructed the plan of his future career and diligently he worked it out seest thou a man diligent in business he shall stand before kings he shall not stand before mean men proverbs twenty two twenty nine but lest it should be thought that mr salt was so much absorbed in the purposes of self-aggrandizement that he had no time left to promote the welfare of the public we shall endeavor to supply evidence to the contrary in the year eighteen thirty two three important projects excited great attention among the inhabitants of bradford in the furtherance of which mr salt took an active part these were railway communication with leeds the formation of works to supply the town with water and the first parliamentary election for the borough it is to the last of these however we would more especially refer as throwing some light on mr salt's political opinions which ultimately led up to his becoming a member of parliament himself it was owing to the passing of the first reform bill that bradford obtained the franchise and was thereby entitled to return two representatives to the house of commons the inhabitants had fully shared in the political agitation which proceeded and necessitated the passing of that measure but mr salt's share in it did not stand out prominently before the public eye in the way of speech-making he was however an ardent reformer and had his own way of shewing it in his warehouse when business was over for the day he gathered round him a number of earnest and thoughtful men men of business like himself their political questions were discussed and methods devised for their practical solution at these meetings mr salt acted the part of host and provided a sumptuous supper for his political friends among whom mr forbes may be specially mentioned it was not only at the time of the reform agitation that such gatherings were held but also when other questions such as the abolition of slavery the repeal of the corn laws or church rates were engaging public attention there in his warehouse was this band of earnest men doing their best to mould public opinion and their sympathies were ever on the side of liberty at home and abroad both personal commercial and religious the first candidates for the representation of bradford were mr e c lister and mr john hardy both these gentlemen were intimately connected with the town by many personal ties and both came forward as reformers the third candidate was mr george banks who professed semi-whig principles as an evidence of the growth of political liberty since that day it is worthy of notice that while some of the above candidates were opposed to vote by ballot as un-english to the extension of the suffrage as unnecessary to the total abolition of the corn laws as impolitic to the immediate emancipation of the slaves as impracticable to the separation of the church from the state as dangerous four of these majors have been fully carried out and the fifth partially what will be accomplished in the next forty years who can tell on this occasion the two liberal candidates were returned but two years after the first reformed parliament was dissolved and the political agitation of eighteen thirty two was renewed in bradford there was no conservative candidate on this occasion but in addition to the two old members another was brought forward in the person of mr george hadfield whose political creed had the full sympathy of mr salt 
and those associated with him. From these circumstances, Mr. Salt's political opinions at this time may be gathered and summarized thus. He was in favor of the extension of the suffrage, vote by ballot, the general education of the people, the abolition of capital punishment, the repeal of the corn laws, the abolition of taxes on knowledge, economy in the public expenditure, the abolition of flogging and impressment of seamen, and the removal of bishops from Parliament. No doubt at that time these opinions were considered too pronounced, but as he had been far in advance of other men in his commercial views, it was not to be wondered that his political views were in advance also. Although the two old members were returned at the second election, Mr. Salt had the satisfaction during his lifetime of seeing most of the above measures placed on the British statute book. Until we come to the period when he became a candidate for parliamentary honors, it is unnecessary to refer to the other political principles which he firmly held and conscientiously endeavored to promote. We therefore pass on to notice those local matters which were contemporary with this period of his life. Among these, the incorporation of the town claims special attention. Up to the year 1845, all local affairs had been managed by commissioners appointed under the Improvement Act, who were a self-elected body, the majority of whom took very little interest in its administration. The head constable was appointed annually by the court leet of the manor. But, strange to say, over the police force and other local functionaries, he had no official control. To the post of head constable, Mr. Salt was elected, but it was with great reluctance he accepted it. Indeed, long before this, the inhabitants had urged him to accept the appointment, but this, as well as other public offices, he had persistently declined, both from his natural aversion to it and the pressure of business engagements. He therefore accepted the office of head constable more as a concession to public opinion than to gratify his own desires, and, though entering upon it reluctantly, he performed its duties with remarkable efficiency. From what we have already seen of the character of the man, and the energy he threw into every undertaking, we may be well assured that it would be also the same in this. As the chief of the town, he convened all public meetings and presided over them. But his authority was limited, and his power to effect local improvements almost nominal. The whole system belonged to a bygone age, when Bradford was little more than a village, but it was utterly out of harmony with its position now as the metropolis of the worsted trade, and containing about eighty thousand inhabitants. Mr. Salt was among the last of his chief constables. To his strongly expressed views on the subject, the change that took place shortly after is largely due. He was convinced that the time had arrived when the community had a right to demand a charter of incorporation. Yet, strange to say, there was great opposition at first to the proposal, and when brought to the test of a vote, the opponents of it had a majority of above two thousand ratepayers. Two years after, the application to Her Majesty's Privy Council was renewed and supported in a more powerful manner, so that a charter of incorporation was ultimately granted. From this period may be dated another era in the history of Bradford. The new charter, having placed the power of government in their own hands, 
the inhabitants determined that no effort should be wanting to make the town worthy of its commercial position up to this time it had obtained the unenviable distinction of being the dirtiest in the kingdom and the seat of the greatest mortality it wanted drainage lighting paving water police in fact everything necessary to lift it from chaos into cosmos the first mayor chosen was mr r milligan and among the list of aldermen were the names of mr salt and mr forbes this was a well-merited tribute to men who had done much to promote the trade of the town no act of the community could be more expressive of the high esteem in which they were held the first municipal honors the electors had it in their power to bestow were conferred on their fellow townsmen who most deserved them in july eighteen forty eight mr salt's name was included in a list of eleven gentlemen selected by the town council and recommended to the queen as the first bench of magistrates for the borough his appointment as a deputy lieutenant of the county followed shortly afterwards End of chapter 7